Hey all, this is Ryan, and you are listening to the Fortune Teller Podcast. Today, we have Roland Grouse, Product Manager for Agoric, an open-source software development company launching an interoperable proof-of-stake chain and economy. Roland began his career in private equity, where he led research projects resulting in billions in acquisition value. Roland is obsessed with DeFi products and is probably farming yours right now. Welcome to the podcast, Roland. Let's start by having you introduce yourself and share some of the background story of how you got into crypto. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, really appreciate you having me on here. Uh, in terms, of, That was a great background in my career, but in terms of how I actually ended up getting into crypto, uh, I was sort of in the perfect place to hear about Bitcoin at the start, in the sense that I, uh, in college, I roomed with eight to 10 guys that all went and played professional poker after college. And I was I was sort of like the low stakes friend who would learn about what they were doing and was interesting, but was never interested in it, but uh, didn't, didn't decide to do it full time. Uh, and Bitcoin, when it launched, became really big in the poker community, had a bunch of friends talking about it. And for whatever reason, I never uh, paid enough attention uh, as I should. <laughs> so, but then as the sort of years went by, I was tracking it and uh, I really finally got pulled in in around February of 2017 when I, I was working at a startup. I was a product manager there and my tech lead, he and I were launching just, just the two of us at the time, a new product for that startup. And we went out for drinks and he spent four hours talking to me about Ethereum, talking at me really. And it was funny, you know, looking at the stories he was telling, it was uh, there's going to be an ETF approved very soon. Uh, we're transitioning to proof of stake really soon. Uh which, you know, those are kind of still the stories, but at least a little more real than they were back in 2017. And um, at the end of that talk, you know, again, I, I come at things from the business side and I, I was convinced that this is something that I should potentially put a little money into as an investor. And uh, I went home and decided I'd had too many drinks to really figure it out and do something risky with my money at the time. Uh, so I'll just do it in the morning. Forgot. And then four months went by and I, I had was watching the asset and ended up deciding to buy it in sort of May or June. And I think as what happened, what, what happened to me is probably what happens to a lot of people where you buy in and then you start realizing, okay, what did I buy? I probably should learn more about this. And I, I don't know, it was like a vortex at that point. I just got sucked into all the stuff that was launching. I mean, and, and at the time, you know, the ICO craze was like really, really heating up. And so you started seeing products getting built and, and all of this stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, Obviously, it was exciting, but looking at it from the lens of a PM or the lens of somebody with my skill set, I didn't see a whole lot that I could actually do in the space. I, um, I I saw a lot of interesting new tech getting developed by people that were very experienced cryptographers or uh, just deep tech engineers. And then I saw a lot of app level stuff getting launched that didn't seem like it had a whole lot behind it. And there really wasn't a whole lot in between that. And so I just watched it from a distance and, you know, I, I subscribed to some new newsletters, which I read regularly. And it w I think it was around 2019, 2020, where I started seeing products that I understood and that I could, I could see the value in and actually use myself. You know, I, I think I had this moment where for the first time I clicked connect with MetaMask and I saw the app change and I saw that I could approve transactions directly in the app and actually do something. And that for me was the light bulb moment where I was like, oh, I get this. Um, and at the time I, I was working at a different startup. I had, I think what I would consider to be the ideal PM role at that, at that startup. And uh, just 
I, I got obsessed. I got completely obsessed with playing with DeFi products. Uh, I was in it through the DeFi summer and I realized I just had to switch my career and I just like couldn't wait. Um, so that was when I, I made the shift. And yeah, that, it's a long intro, but I, I think it probably resonates with a lot of people and especially people that are going through it now. You know, it feels like everybody has this moment where it just it, it, something clicked for them. And, and that, that was how mine went. The light bulb goes off for anyone who goes deep enough down the rabbit hole into this crypto yeah. metaverse that we live in. Uh, it, it's it's interesting because adoption comes in many ways. And you touched on that. Your buddies back in college who were playing poker, that was one of the early use cases of Bitcoin because you could send a bet across the world and you That's didn't right. need PayPal anymore. Um, but then for other people, you need something more tangible to play with. It's not just the money. You need an app, an interface that you can click a button and say, oh, wow, this worked. It feels like a normal app that I'd have in my phone or I'd go to you know, Bank of America online. That really is going to be the aha moment for many people coming into the space who are joining a movement that has DeFi, where you can actually interact with financial services with your own personal wallet. NFTs, where you can buy collectibles or artwork that you would never have access to before because they were secluded to maybe a couple thousand uh, of art of art investors and art buyers. So it's it, in, insightful and really awesome to hear your journey, especially for the listeners, that no matter how you come into this space, we're all going to go through the same journey, which is this light bulb moment when we finally get it and we realize that our entire frame of looking at the world is is off and will completely will change for the better for the rest of our lives yep. um, where we believe in a world that we own our money we own our data and that's how we're going to interact with these applications and for you uh we know that you were also working in private equity before you got into the, the tech space what have you seen in DeFi or, or private equity um, that correlates, that, that looks similar? And then what experiences about DeFi can you say are, are drastically different than what you saw in the traditional finance world? Sure. Um, and actually, so, you know, a piece that I left out is I, of, of my getting into crypto story is at around the time of the Ethereum launch, I had friends reach out and, you know, ask me as someone that, you know, I, at the time I was in business school or just, just out of it. And as someone that did this for a living previously, like, what did I think of it as something to buy? And my response was, I've got no idea. I, I have absolutely no idea how to value this thing. It looks really interesting, but as you know, should you put your money there? I don't know. Um, and I think really what DeFi brings to people with that mindset is something that you can put a model on, right? You have cash flow, you have earnings for protocols, you have you have things that make sense to somebody with a traditional finance mindset. And so to me, those were those are the par parallels, right? That's where there's sort of an obvious connection between the way you would value a, a company in sort of the normal world versus the way you would value a DeFi protocol. I think where things seem to be different and you know we're still early days so who knows how this evolves but i think there is there's an and this was probably my first time articulating this there's sort of an aspect of value that is coming into these protocols or these projects that probably wasn't reflected in the way you would normally think about buying apple stock or something like that because if i own tokens in a project 
there's a community part of it. There is a, you know, I may have access to a discord. I may have access to projects that have built on top of that project. And, and so there's sort of like a building of value that can't quite be quantified in a DCF model. And I think that is something that has been interesting to watch evolve and it will continue to evolve. I mean, NFTs are sort of like the perfect evolution of that. Um, and, and so that has been interesting. And then I think even more fundamentally, just getting back to how do you value a layer one chain, you know, it's difficult, right? It's difficult for um, if you're looking at transaction fees as the primary revenue, for example, in Ethereum, how, how do you think about that in terms of long-term valuation? And um, that I think is still, to me, an open debate. And one of the things that at Agoric, we actually are specifically trying to address with, with our model. The transaction fee narrative is interesting because it doesn't necessarily relate to being the best KPI because you don't always want transaction fees to be high. That prevents massive user adoption. So as the crypto ecosystem has evolved, we've continued to try to put terms or names onto what a KPI should be, but they keep shifting. TVL and DeFi is a KPI. But is that going to be the case when we get into credit and unsecured loans? Is TBL really as important? Maybe it's going to be percentage of defaults and repayments that become more interesting. But from a base layer, cash flows and earnings for a protocol will absolutely stay because just like every business model, crypto will be no different. There should be a way that money in revenue is generated. There is a website called cryptofees.info where you can actually track the daily fees that are being generated per protocol. And it's amazing to see how far along DeFi protocols have come. Ranking at the, the far top, Ethereum, it just looks like today has done 50 million in transaction fees. That's insane. Um, and we kind of look at Ethereum as an organization, as a startup, as something that's ever evolving. If you were to put a, D, a discounted cash flow model on that, that's incredible for any company that would have zero operational overhead because it's run by people who are incentivized to run it themselves. Right. <laughs> um, then you kind of go down the list and you see Uniswap, Aave, SushiSwap. DeFi protocols are really earning revenue. So as, as we kind of like try to value this, um, the, it, it's hard to put in context what zero operational overhead really means and what the social graph that you're describing is, which is community involvement, engagement. And you brought up product, and that's what I'd love to shift over to. Sure. Um, that really inspired you to get into the space. What, what really hooked you to make that transition from the traditional tech space, being a product manager, to joining a, a very blockchain-centric role with Agoric? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's – I mentioned the, the, the uh, Connect with MetaMask moment. And I think specifically what I was doing there, and actually, you know, it's, it's so far back that I don't remember exactly, but I, I'm pretty sure I was opening a Maker Ball. And that was the first time, it, it was not just the app experience, the UX of Connect with MetaMask, but it was also, what was I doing with it? I was doing something that I could not achieve in my existing finances, right? You know, I'm, I'm someone that's like relatively financial, financially literate, but I don't have financial services right now that would let me take a loan out against my equity portfolio example and that's exactly what i was doing with maker and that that to me was game changing it's like oh not only not only is this an app that feels futuristic it feels like it's a 2019 2020 app but it's also letting me do something that's fundamentally new to me 
And so, you know, frankly, it was seeing stuff like that and, and just seeing the open design space that exists in this world, you know, not just in DeFi, but in gaming. And, you know, even at the time people were talking about NFTs and what that might look like. It, it just, it was clearly, it was, I, I don't even know how to describe it. You know, I've never had so much conviction that, that something is going to be important in the future as I did in that moment. And I was looking at what I was doing at the time. I was like, you know, yeah, this is great, but I just, it's not the same. It's not even on the same level. So it's, that, that was the reason. Yeah. It's a hundred X to a thousand X better. Yeah. The, the traditional Silicon Valley motto where we're doing something completely brand new. I believe uh, Naval recently tweeted this out that you can't compare Web 2 to Web 3 because the use cases of Web 3 and Maker, as you're explaining, are drastically different because you're taking a loan against your equity portfolio. Other people are building derivative products on top of that. No right. one's going to build the derivative pro- product on top of Fidelity's equity to, to loan market. Uh, and they, they couldn't, right? And, you know, I, I think this, it brings up something I saw. It was a tweet by Stani, who's the uh, leader of Ave. I, I don't even remember. It was months ago. But um, there was, he was retweeting somebody who was saying he was really hard to get a hold of because the guy wanted to partner with him. And his tweet was, if you want to part- partner with Ave, here are our function calls. And, you know, he just had his like four public methods and your app just calls this. You don't have to talk to us. We don't care. We don't need to meet you. We don't need to screen you. In fact, we can't, you know, just do do whatever you want to do. And you're partnered with us. And and that that is just just fundamentally different. That's that's you, you're starting to bring open source and network effects to financial applications. And you're doing it in a place where there's no lock in for people's assets. You know, if you're a developer and you build a, a product that gives half a percent better yield, you can have a billion dollars in your protocol next week because, you know, Yearn doesn't own my assets. I don't have to wait a week and a half to, you know, bring it back, ACH it and close an account and like talk to a sales rep who's going to try to talk me out of it and all the stuff I would have to do in my existing financial world. You know, have you tried rolling over a 401k before? It's it's a nightmare, right? Like, so this is this is something where it just it moves at the speed of software for something that hasn't done that ever. And it's just, yeah, I, I could talk all day about this, but it's so exciting to me. The biggest overhead is people. And yeah. that's business development relationships that don't need to happen anymore. Uh, developers have an out-of-the-box solution at this point, which is amazing. And as you you yourself are, are architecting a layer one with Agoric, I think our users would love to learn how you have that attitude in mind how do you make it easy for developers? And if you could sh- shed some light on what makes Agor- Agoric magical, why should Agoric exist as another layer one out- outside of Ethereum, and why should DeFi developers be interested in building on Agoric? Yeah, uh, so happy, to, uh, always happy to talk about Agoric. Uh, so what we're what we're looking to do fundamentally is is bring these these products that have been built in nascent form in Ethereum and other L1s right now. Bring them to a much wider group of developers because at a, in Agoric, you can write smart contracts in JavaScript. And it's, act, it's a hardened JavaScript, so um, you know, any JavaScript security issues we're, we've worked through. And what we have is a framework for deploying assets, deploying deep DeFi protocols, and then having developers build on top of that in, true, in a truly composable form. So um, 
really our model is such that if you're coming in and you want to build a new protocol on Agoric, you'll be able to pull in existing components that have been built by other developers, not copy paste their code, but truly import them and parameterize them um, and sort of allow you as a, um, as a developer focused on your own business logic to ignore the stuff that you don't need, you don't need to know about, right? If you're building in existing L1s and you want an auction mechanism in your, in your protocol, almost all the time you have to re-implement that yourself, right? And that also means, you know, any security reviews, that, any audits that that group went through when they were building the auction mechanism the first time, you make any changes to that, it's all vilified. And so what we really want to do is allow you to just pull in pre-audited, pre-secure um, components into your platform, connect them together, wire them together the same way you would in, in React effectively and, um, and launch. So that really is the, the core Agoric um, value add. And, you know, there's, there's a lot more to it in different ways that we intend to compete with other L1s and all that stuff. And I'm happy to, happy to get into that as well. But really, if you're a developer that knows JavaScript, this is going to be a, the fastest place for you to build quickly and uh, deploy your application and actually start getting users fast. The React example is a, a massive opportunity because for many developers entering the space, learning Solidity is very tough. It's a complete mind shift from the current mode of developing a Web2 startup, which is move fast and break things. With yeah. Solidity, you move slow, but try to keep up with the market without breaking things. Mm -hmm. So because of that, security is at the utmost importance whenever you're building an, in DeFi or any type of smart contract, it's incredibly empowering that Agoric has these components that in JavaScript, I can plug and play into a front-end application that I'm guessing would just be integrated natively into React, React eventually. Yep. So there's... It sounds like there's going to be different streams of adoption that Agoric will go through. Um, I could totally see major companies like a Microsoft or a Google having their employees use this because it's just JavaScript. But I could also see new startups that are coming more from the fintech space or the Web2 space integrating Agoric because, once again, it's just JavaScript. That's what they know to code in. Where in your mind do you see the adoption for this type of building in this toolbox coming from in DeFi? Do you think it's new startups? Do you think it's current fintechs? Is it major tech companies? Where do you see those first inroads? Yeah. So that, and that's a great question. I, I think reasonable people can disagree on this, but my, my opinion on where this starts, uh, and, and again, Agoric is launching this year. So, so where it starts right at the beginning is we want to make sure that there are public DeFi apps that are built largely probably to start with by people that are familiar with what's happening in the DeFi space, right? Um, and, and once enough activity comes onto the chain from those, then you start to be able to attract, you know, brands who want to do NFTs for, you know, whatever it is they're launching, right? Um, and actually, my one of my previous roles was e-commerce and helping brands sell on Facebook and Instagram, you know, and I that was not the right role for me, but I, I understand what the, what the needs of brands are. And I, I think that's where you start to get those interested groups onto the chain is when they see that there's already activity, it's somewhat validated for them as a choice uh, because they, they are going to be a little bit risk averse. So you need to start with a group that's willing to take a little bit more risk. Um, but once that's there, then all of those groups that are never going to be able to hire a Solidity developer because Solidity developers will never go work for them because they can do way better on their own. 
um, but do have developers that know JavaScript can easily start integrating it. And so I think the flywheel actually starts happening quickly. Um, you know, I think a lot about where, how we, how we launch to start with and compete with existing L1s. And to me, there's a bunch of different network effects that are sort of at play all at the same time in crypto. There's, there's sort of the language itself. And I think JavaScript there, we have a huge advantage in terms of having, having a, a huge base of people that not only know JavaScript, but have been working on the language for a long time. Um, and then beyond that, there is the smart contracts that have already been deployed. And that's a place where we need to catch up. And then there's also another layer, which is really just the assets that are available to um, a user that would be on the smart contract platform. And I think that that is something where, because we are launching as a Cosmos chain, because we're connected to IBC, we have the ability to have users bring atoms in, bring other Cosmos assets in, and very quickly collateralize projects that launch on us. So. Um, I think, and this is all sort of getting to what, what happens first. And what happens first is we look to have DeFi applications launch on us that bring in the existing assets that are in the Cosmos ecosystem that right now don't have a lot of DeFi available to them. Um, so I think Osmosis DEX launched in June, the Gravity DEX launch or is launching basically right now. And those are the two real applications in Cosmos. And um uh, we expect to have a lot more and a lot more interesting things for people to do with those assets, which again, just sort of kickstarts our own network effect, which then lets us go out to these external places and be a destination for them rather than us having to do BD or anything like that. Uh, absolutely. And kicking off in the Cosmos ecosystem, I know Cosmos is EVM compatible, I believe, or at least Ethermint is. Do you guys also see yourself following an approach like what Celo recently did or what Polygon previously did, where you'd encourage current DeFi applications like an Aave or like a Curve to launch on a Gork as well? So we'll, we will not be EVM compatible. And there's sort of a deep technical reason for that, which is that EVM, the virtual machine fundamentally allows security holes that we will not allow. And, and so that's, I think that's something that is, you know, I know a lot of users want that. I know that maybe DeFi developers are going to want that as well, but it's a line that we won't cross. Um, and so I think to start with, if you are bringing assets from an EVM compatible chain, there's no problem with that, right? You can bridge them over the gravity, uh, gravity bridge when it launches straight to uh, the Cosmos hub or wherever that, wherever that lives and then come over IBC to us. So the assets can come, but the actual interaction back and forth uh, won't be won't be EVM to EVM. This is the realization of the Cosmos vision coming to life because Cosmos has always been the idea that there'll be many chains that have different core structures. And we need that diversity at the layer one level where some are solving specific security issues and don't offer ABC and others are less security intensive but offer XYZ feature sets. And that diverse range is going to bring such a broad ecosystem of users where people are going to look at Agoric as that security, that secure smart contract layer where you can build other levels of the stack and not have to worry about the issues. Right. And, and I think the important part of the security argument, too, is not, not just that it's safer, but that because it's safer, you can build faster and more effectively. Right. You know, if you actually look at the code for, you know, one of the larger DeFi protocols on Ethereum, just pick one. There's not really that much code there. 
right? What, what, what is difficult about it is getting it right and making it secure and getting it audited and then having it be battle tested. And um, if you can lower the barrier to that and, and make it possible for developers who are not security experts to do it well, then suddenly the amount of development you're going to see is just going to explode. Uh, at least that's our that's our belief. And and so you know security for us is not just a hey you know we're we're sort of the button down security guys. It's the this is what allows us to move quickly. And and so that's sort of why we won't make those trade offs at the at the lower level. For adoption, it's so important because what you brought up really pigeonholes many DeFi builders because they want to build something awesome. And the more complex they get, the more surface area of risk they're taking on and the more they have to audit, the more yep. they have to be battle tested. One line of code can be life or death for a DeFi project. And you brought up another point, which was how do you kickstart the ecosystem? You want applications and people that are already familiar with DeFi building or, or NFTs building on Agoric. And that makes sense. Um, in the NFT space, we talk about it being mainstream, but even if you look at Board API Club, for example, there's a little over 5,000 wallet addresses that hold those NFTs. That's a very, very small number of individuals who are participating. Yep. Um, compare that to any Web2 startup. If they said we have 5,000 users, you know, the investors wouldn't really shine, shine light at day, but in crypto, because it's an economic reason, we're interested. However, we need to expand to the next user base, and that comes from easy, out-of-the-box tool sets. Yep. We always like to ask a final question on the Fortune Teller podcast, and that is, if you had a crystal ball in front of you right now, what could you most confidently predict will happen in DeFi and ideally built on Agoric by the end of this year? And by the end of this year, is that three and a half months from now, or is that next September? So... I would say we usually do by the end of this year, but knowing that Agoric is just coming out of the soft launch, um, we'll say by the end of ne next year. I think that there will be, and and definitely before by the end of next year, so let's put it halfway between those. Like I, I think that on Agoric in particular, there will be significant hubs of liquidity connecting Cosmos chains in, in meaningful ways. So an example would be sort of liquidity mining contracts that allow people that LP on Osmosis or the Gravity Dex to come to Agoric and use something interesting there. Um, I think that that will be a, a massive opportunity for developers. I think that Agoric will become a hub for a lot of liquidity that doesn't have a lot of options to do anything anywhere else. Um, and suddenly you're, you're going to start to see complex derivatives markets and futures markets and things like that built on Agoric, which uh, I cannot wait to see. I think our, our listeners will be extremely excited as well. Thank you, Roland, for joining. And wherever you're listening to this, be sure to check out the show notes for all the links Roland mentioned in our conversation. And please follow us on Twitter at useteller or join our newsletter to find out about our upcoming episodes. Thanks so much, Ryan.